Hey, Emily. Hey, Stephanie. You uh, want to do a podcast? Absolutely. Welcome to Cycle Chats, a podcast to destigmatize what it means to be a woman. This is episode 22, Dancing Queen. We are about to potaboure our way into today's episode as we speak with founder and director at Walante Dance Company and professional dancer Michelle Garcia. Michelle, did I get the word right? Why don't you say what it actually is supposed to sound like? I almost like your rendition more than my own. But yes, the company is called Bonante, and I think you did it justice. Thank you. <laughs> well, can you explain a little bit of what that company is and what you what you do? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Michelle Garcia, and I am a professional dancer based out of Boston, Massachusetts. I started my company, and we're going on three years now. It's always surreal. I have to like always recount each year to make sure I know the number of years, right? And the, the company is founded by a woman, run by a woman. It is an all-woman company. It's an all-salsa company. So we like to call it Salsa Fusion because I have multiple backgrounds in dance, and I actually didn't grow up with salsa. I grew up classically trained and with hip-hop and jazz and tap and a bunch of different genres in a new called Dance Theater Studio from the Midwest. I'm a Midwest girl. And then I moved to Boston shortly after graduating from the University of Michigan. And I danced here for a few years. I also, in the studio that I grew up at, it was run by a, a family, an amazing family, the Durban family. But all of my teachers, for the most part, were women. So I grew up with a really strong woman influence in the dance scene anyway, which was amazing. It was a blessing that I didn't know that I had at the time, right? You always, it's hindsight is 2020. And so I started this company a few years ago when I wanted to, I started looking for more opportunities that fit what I needed and where I needed to grow in dance. And I didn't find the perfect fit for me here in Boston. And I realized that everywhere that I looked, it was really, really male dominated. And salsa usually, right, generally, it is a heavily partner work dance. And so when you have this dynamic, you also have a lot of, a lot, a long lineage of cultural machismo and, and maybe we'll get into that, maybe not, it's a lot. But the I think the problem with it is that, you know, oftentimes in this scene, unfortunately, still in 2021, we see that it's very male dominated. In a partnership, a lot of the time, the male name comes first and the male speaks during the classes and is the one that instructs and the male is the one that leads. And just the way that we talk still as well is very male dominant. And so this really kind of came over to my decision of where do I want to go next feeling like I always was going to be have to be you know on somebody else's terms it was you know more male dominated space and the other thing is that in partner work there were not very many partner work teams that were onto and onto is the kind of salsa that I do here in Boston and I got sick of it I got sick of waiting for what I wanted and I got sick of going out and waiting for you know a male to ask me to dance and I really wanted to to change that feeling and that stigma around the fact that a woman can ask anybody to dance and we should be asking people to dance just as much as a male number one and number two why can't I lead right I'm I'm a woman I'm capable why can't I be a leader and and both like literally and figuratively right so you know figuratively speaking I can start a company and I'm just as capable of that as any male out there right and literally I can lead on the dance floor it's going to take me a little bit to learn <laughs> right but something that I got really interested in. And so Bonante is all about women empowerment and really showing women how much we can do and changing the stereotype of that. And so we are both a shines and a partner work.
company. We are majority shines. Shines is the term in salsa for individual dancing, footwork, body movement outside of a partnership. But in our first piece that was called Kimbara in 2018, I believe, my years are always mixed up. <laughs> we, we debuted a piece, like I said, called Kimbara. And in the middle of the piece, the big kind of like I felt a debut within a debut was that, you know, we busted out in a partner work section. And that was a really big deal in Boston. We hadn't seen it before here where we had 20 women on the dance floor, 10 leads, 10 follows, and we were all leading and following each other. And so that was a really, I still, I feel like I'm getting goosebumps now because, it, you know, it, it meant a lot to us. It meant a lot to our company and to our scene and to a lot of the people that that I've talked to who have felt this way before, but it's, it sounds trivial when I say, why can't I do it? But it was hard. It took, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of training. It took a lot of guts, I think. And so that's, that's essentially how Bonante was born. And we're trying to carry on that, that narrative now. I love that. And I know, and you said, you know, it took a lot of work, but yeah, I mean, given what you just said about the kind of the stereotypes within the culture of salsa, you had to fight a little bit to be like, hello, hi, I'm a woman, but I'm here and I'm just as good, maybe even better. Absolutely. You know? I'm small, but I'm mighty. <laughs> like that oh, type of mentality always. <laughs> I say it all the time, tiny, but mighty. Yes, exactly. Both Steph and I are actors. We're performers, as I told you, I think via Instagram. So one of the things that I always craved as a performer was the ability to dance. I don't, I have no dancing bone in my body. I'm just awkward. And I was the kid that I went to school for musical theater and for undergrad and we had to take ballet every week, three times a week. I was the child in the class that perfected the fall but the silent fall. So I would fall silently, then sit on the ground. People would jete above me and they'd get to the other side of the room and be like, wait, wait, when did you, how did you get there? I was like, oh, I fell like five minutes ago. Don't worry about it, everyone. That was me. That was me. But I aced all my tests. I was a terrible dancer, but by God, I did I know all the words. Right. I was going to say, well, your terminology is still pretty up to par. I've heard Pat Bure, I've heard Jete, and I'm impressed. I'm really good at smiling and pretending like I know what I'm doing. Sometimes after shows, I'd get asked, how long have you been a dancer? And I was like, wow. Well, I don't know what shows you're seeing if you think I was good. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. You know, well, I know nothing about acting, but I will say this. My partner, who is also a professional dancer, so I'm sure that will come in later, but he has asked me multiple times to essentially quit my day job and go into acting because he believes that we will not need to work another day in our life because of my drama. <laughs> so I don't have any official work in it, but... I have a lot of behind the scenes. Yeah. And I and I'm sure through your years of performing on stage, you've you've gotten better at what that, you know, what that means. Cause I just think it's so beautiful, the idea of being so connected to your body. Like I can watch. So you think you can dance? I mean, I'll just hysterically cry because I just I just think it's so beautiful. It's like the most beautiful thing that you can do. And I'm like, how do I get there? Nope, I can't. My mom took me out of dance class. I remember the day. I think I was in ballet and they put me in the back for a recital and I went out to the car and I said, mommy, I don't ever want to go back. And so she never sent me back. I blame it on my mom. Mom, I hope you're listening to this. I blame my inability to dance on you. 
You know, that's so funny because we like, this is why I have so much fear of being a parent. Like, you know, it's kind of a lose-lose sometimes if you push them to do it or if you listen to what they're saying, right? So I think my my parents tell me all the time, I'm very close to my parents too. And they they tell me all the time, like, you know, like thank goodness that you loved it. And that we didn't feel like we had to push you. And so for the most part, that was the case, but I had my moments too. And I will tell you this, ballet is a that is a tough cookie. She is a tough woman. And that's a hard one to start in. And so I, I have a lot of, uh, you would, I think, be surprised at the amount of people who kind of tell me their story of, you know, oh, I started dance too and I couldn't go through it. Like I get that a lot. And I always say, you know, ballet, in my opinion, is the hardest thing to stick through. That's the one that I almost quit. And that's the one to this day where, you know, one of my mentors growing up, I really, really thank her for pushing me through that because everything else in it, the energy was there. Tap, I loved jazz. I could be dramatic. And ballet was the one that didn't fit my personality type. But I think to this day has gotten me a really long way. So, but that's a tough one. So I don't blame you for for, <laughs> for not being the biggest fan. It, it was hard. It's real hard. There's a lot of, you know, pretty movements and I'm just very awkward. So I was like, this is correct. No. Okay, great. Did you always like dance? Did your parents push you into it? Did you say, mommy, daddy, I want to be in dance? How did it all come about? Yeah, so we come from, like I said, I, I think, I don't know if I mentioned it yet, I'm a twin. And so my twin and I come from a very, very active family. Both of my parents, but mostly my mother is like crazy go-getter, has been like athletic, unofficial, like athlete. I always call her an athlete though for her whole life. And my dad was along for the ride, just agreed with everything, supported everything. And so, you know, they started putting us in anything that they could. Dance, soccer, baseball. And they were really, really, really amazing. I think I also got a sense of the term is feminism, right? Like I don't, I want to break that stigma. The term is feminism. That's a quality. And so they were without that label and without understanding that word, right? As a young kid, they were, they're feminists through and through. And so they, anything that they put my brother in, they put me in, right? And we were on the same teams. And oftentimes I was the only girl at five years old on, you know, the baseball team or the soccer team or this or that. We kind of, you know, simultaneously had this, like, you know, we did all of the same things. So I, didn't grow up with the thought of I would wouldn't be able to do something that he did and so I think that you know even as I'm saying it now I think it's something that I don't think about I take it maybe for granted that my parents did that and you know I don't subconsciously I'm sure that that affected you know in a great way my ability to say hey I can do this I can start this company because why not but I never thought about that because that's how we grew up and so they they put us into to dance as well my brother did not like it so much he was emily he was on kind of your <laughs> side of things and they respected that and that was fine and i think it all worked out because to this day he's a sports journalist so sports were really his thing and yeah we we did like i said all sports and dance since we were about five and as we got older and older we started being able to pick and kind of narrow down what we loved and he very very quickly narrowed it down to baseball and I actually narrowed it down to two things but I was kind of in love with two things which was a problem so I was in dance and I was in soccer and I took soccer pretty seriously and I started to travel for it and about the point I think I was 13 or 14 which is a tough age anyway <laughs> holy crap and my parents turned to me I was like entering high school and they said listen you're starting to you know travel for for both of these things and you're starting to put in more hours for both of these things and you're going into high school and we want you to you know be able to keep up in your schoolwork as well you have to pick and in the most privileged point of view I thought that they were ruining my life I thought that this was the worst thing they could ever say to me that I had to pick I loved both things so much and I knew both of those things and had been doing those things for essentially you know what 
felt like my whole life at that point. And I cried for for weeks. And I also didn't want to talk to them, right? And I was like, you're making me do this. And at the end of the day, I just kept thinking about, you know, which one I felt I couldn't live without. That's the only way I could could decide, right? And at the time, it was a really hard decision. But it seems funny now to me, because I I couldn't live without dance, but you know, again, 2020. So I picked dance and I, you know, I told myself and they told me, you know, if, if you're going to pick this, we're, we're behind you hundred percent. We're going to support you. And this way you can do more and more and, and we'll see where it goes. And that's, that's really what I did. I did more and more and more. The rest is history, I guess. I had a funny feeling you did soccer. I don't know. It was just like an instinctive thing. And Believe it or not, Emily was put in the back in dance and I used to do cartwheels in the goalies net in so- when I did soccer. So they would bench me. And so what I would do is then I would pour water and entertain uh, the crowd. I'd be like, how's everyone doing tonight? I, and we ended up winning like the all overall, like ultimate, I still have the trophy. I did nothing to contribute to the games, but I feel that the entertainment value was popping. You were the mascot, Stephanie. Absolutely. I did. I, yeah. You were the ununiformed mascot of that team. Please hold your applause. I feel like it doesn't, it maybe doesn't feel this way for everybody. And this is something that I'm learning and that I don't want to take for granted, but I feel as though at least for a certain amount of people are kind of like true calling, right. Has a way of sneaking in very early without us knowing (laughs) even in our personality and what we do and what we gravitate towards. And I feel as though that, that entertainer called you. (laughs) So just, it was just part of it. So going through it, then I'm assuming you got to try all different styles of dance. Which one was your favorite? Yeah, so I did. We started with ballet, tap, and jazz. And then later on, we could, we added other other trainings, some modern and other things also as well, like Pilates and hip hop in high school. They wanted us to have, you know, that foundational start. And then we could keep adding, you know, the further along we went, being perfectly honest. And even my mentors, you know, I'm still in touch with them today from when I was five years old and they know that I was not a fan of ballet. (laughs) They know. So that was the one that I felt, you know, very disconnected to, but to this day, still like truly, I think it's, it's honestly gotten me where I'm at in my salsa career right now. I don't think I would have picked anything up as quickly as I did, especially starting, you know, I was a very late bloomer in salsa and I started in my twenties in college. And so I think what really sparked me was tap tap was my I always say tap was my first like true love I think it made me especially starting in in ballet and tap I think it's all relative and so in comparison I could kind of be my my wild side in tap it was it was very like out there it's very expressive you make a lot of noise as a kid that's such a fun thing to do right and it's a bit more like drawing outside of the lines the rules are not as rigid and so I I really connected with that of like not kind of following like this rules the all of these rules and this pattern and this template and formula which I think was why I struggled with ballet because I wanted to like bust the literal move every time I got in and after that in high school I started hip-hop and that ended up kind of I think both of them for different reasons will have like really 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 big like places in my heart always and I ended up expressing myself a lot in high school through hip hop so much so that I was I was 16 which I believe is sophomore or junior year and I was 
I had my first job. I was working at our local YMCA. It was my first job as like, you know, fitness cleaner, a very exciting position. And, and I got in touch with a friend there, another worker there who's a few years older than me. And she was a college student at the UVM and she was on a hip hop team. And she would see me, some perks of working there was that I would get to use the studios when I was on my breaks. And so she, while I was working really, really well on my breaks, I would sneak into the studios and dance. And she saw me doing that. And interestingly enough, she would leave me names of YouTube hip hop videos at the desk where I was working. And she would say, look this one up later. And she, it became kind of a weekly thing. She would leave me a new one every week. And it started getting me more and more and more into hip hop. And eventually she and I became, you know, really good friends and talked. And she said, Hey, you should, you should try out for this team. And it was a university team. And I went to the, I contacted the director with my mother, called her. And she said, you know, this is a college team. You know, we don't allow high school students, but she can come to the audition for, you know, experience. And I know that she's friends with Maria, which was, you know, a woman on the team at the time. And so I begged my mom to go and she said, yes. And I went to this audition and it was a really fun class. And I knew that that's all it was going to be, but it was nice to see the, you know, the environment and meet some people and some connections. And they got down my information anyway. And I remember I could not sleep that night because I was so excited. I was in this college environment as a 16 year old. And I had, you know, had a really fun audition and this and that, but I was also sad because I had seen what it could be like. And she had told me that I could not be a part, but I think she had a change of heart or something happened. And the next day I got an email saying, you know, we changed our minds and we'd like you to be the first high schooler on this team. And I flipped out, right? It was like this feeling of like, oh my God. I was like, I thought I just got into like, you know, so you think you can dance. Like that's what it felt like at the time. And I think that team introduced me into a even harder work ethic, which is something that I grew up with in the studio that I was at. But the hours of this team, let me tell you, this was a tough phase for my mother and I, (laughs) because this team was a college team that started rehearsal at 10 and then sometimes ended at two or three in the morning and I was 16 years old going to high school at seven or 7 30 right whatever ridiculous hours high school is at and those things didn't vibe very well together and so to this day it's so funny my mom and I always we always get in this argument because my brother was more difficult than I was and I swear by that and so she'll agree with that but she says well I don't know you had a really difficult like rebellious phase and I always have to put it into perspective for her and I say mom like my rebellious phase was working hard as a dancer was not going out and doing like you know illegal bad things it was not this it was like you were upset with me because I would stay late at practice but yes I think that was the most rebellious I was because I would tell her that I would be home at midnight and I would come home at two I get that it's the same thing for us as actors I mean my brother could just run the neighborhood and then I'm you know I'm like working six different jobs and my mom's like you're one minute late and I'm like are you kidding are you kidding kidding me right now Yes. And so I tell her to this day, you better count your lucky stars if that was, is what, what was difficult about your 16 year old. Like, <laughs> but she always comes back and says, well, you know what? I'm just going to sit back with my teacup and watch when you deal with it with your kids. And I was like, okay, touche, you know, like they're just worried. But I feel like also too, it's that little girl, you know, your son, the way you treat your son versus how you treat your daughter. I come from an Italian family and it's very, very much that traditional sense of like, by a certain age, the boy needs to go do what you got to do. But the little girl, we like bubble wrap and we make sure we nice and safe and then I was like I'm gonna cut my hair and dye it and paint my nails black and they were just like oh god what's happening and I was just like ah get me out of here yeah and my family got I think they they eventually they see as you get older as the as the female you tend to you tend to be able to have you can say and get away with certain things that maybe now the 
the sun cannot, at least in my experience, what I've noticed. I'm like, oh, how the tables have turned. Different advantages we got here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, I totally understand that. Yeah. And like I said, I was really, really fortunate that they didn't give my brother opportunities or have, you know, place of faith in him that they didn't in me. And they they didn't create a damsel in distress attitude, although they didn't need to, right? It was in the media. Like I grew up with it anyway. It was in the media and it was in movies and it was in, you know, I learned it in Africa. And so I'm really lucky that it wasn't enforced in my family. But, you know, what was reality was that I was a 16 year old girl woman, you know, on a college campus late at night in the dark. And the problem is that women have to be careful. If somebody calls it a stigma, sure, you can call it that, but it's a reality, I think. And it's something that like, that has to change as a parent, you know, standpoint, I think they're, they're worried for a reason, you know, that's, it's really scary as a woman who can be alone. And I think I saw that you had a guest on your show that has a, a woman's defense training program. And she said light on this fact, I, I was seeing that, you know, she said, why can't women, you know, walk alone? Yes, of course they can. And I was like, damn, I want to think that way. You know, like immediately I was like, I thought about that for weeks. So if only I could think that way. Right. And maybe hopefully one day we all can. Yeah. Well, she would definitely kick somebody's butt if they were to do anything. I was like a 98 pound freshman walking home with like drunk kids in this middle of bum f- down like you know it was not safe so I should not have been doing that but I also hope that one day we can get to a place where like women can walk late to their car and not have to like keep turning their heads and make sure like it's just you know we're getting there and and it will get better but we still have a long way to go progress is not linear yeah oh god yeah I that's truth my partner is a six foot three very large man but then he's like a super softy it's something that i we talk about a lot and i say you know because he's like oh why are you nervous because sometimes i'll lock the car doors if we're like at the gas station and he's like well i'm it's fine i'm here i said it's just part of your makeup as a woman you're raised with this thought that you are treated differently based on who you are physically and that's it and like that's it you're you have this title and now there's a set of rules that go along with it and so I always tell them you can do certain things that I cannot at past a certain point of the night and yes I should be able to do these things. Right. We're not acknowledging that this is something that we want or that we enjoy in our role. We're acknowledging that it's a reality. Yeah. Which is why I think it plays off of when we were speaking with Nick, she said, of course you can do it. You just have to have the right skills and the knowledge and like the understanding of how to defend yourself. It was enlightening and, you know, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to to get to that point where we feel safe to do that. And until then we ask our men to be allies in this and to, you know, if you see someone being harassed, say something. I mean, I'm going to just share a real quick story and we'll, we'll keep going. But when my partner was in college, he was over in Savannah, Georgia near SCAD. So there's certain areas that you can't really go to because it's not very safe. Anyway, he was driving home one day and he saw a girl going for a run and there was a guy on a bike right behind her and he was saying things to her and my partner had his window down and he could hear it. He drove past her and he said, I just, something didn't sit right with me because they just didn't look like they were together. So he turned around, he went back, he drove up next to the girl. He's like, excuse me, miss. He said, are you with this guy? 
And she said, no, I don't know who he is. And so when the guy on the bike is yelling, you know, oh, no, I'm, it's fine. It's fine. And trying to like get my partner to leave. And he stopped the car and he told the guy, yo, dude, shut the f I'm not talking to you. And he says, would you like to get in the car? She said, yes, please. She gets in the car. They drive. She said, I'm so I didn't know who that guy was. And I was so scared, but I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to piss him off. Well, where, where are you going? She said one of the camp. It was one of the campuses. He's like, no problem. I'll drop you off. He's like, you know, because he could tell she was a freshman. He said, this is not a great area for you to be running in at night. He said, so just I can tell you places you can go. He goes, but but please don't do that again, because this could have been a really serious for you. And she's like, I'm so sorry. He goes, don't apologize. He's like, I'm just glad you're okay. He let her out of the car. She was like, thank you so much. Oh my God. And he goes, just, you know, be very careful. And then he went home. That's what we need. If you see something, be a good man and stand up because you have the, you have the advantage to be our ally and to say, yo, dude, don't cat call that woman. Even if you don't know her, that's not right. Yes. Yes. That's how amazing of your partner. I'm so glad that he, he did that. And I'm so glad there are people like that. Right. And it's, oh my goodness. Yeah. We need to, we need to spread more of that. And then as we're spreading that, just change the narrative of what happens. Amen to that. So we're talking about stereotypes and all of that. So last week we spoke to a body image coach and I'm sure there's a lot of body image things with dancers, especially ballet dancers, because you have to be stick thin, you know, like their leotards come up to a certain size, all of this stuff. So what kind of stereotypes did you deal with as a dancer? Did you get a lot of stereotypes about your body? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes to the yes, yes, yes. That's all I can say. This is a huge, this is a huge problem. And I feel as though it's a double whammy because very generally speaking here, right? Dance scenes and studios are predominantly women, specifically in ballet, at least growing up. And I don't think we talk enough, regardless of if you're a dancer or not, about how many bodily like dysfunctional images and feelings we have just going back circling back to like you know the media and movies and detox teas and diets and bikini bodies and hot girl summers and all of these things that are perpetually being like you know just cycled and thrown at us that have nothing to do with dance and how many eating disorders we go through and how many eating disorders we slide underneath rugs again that have nothing to do with dance and then you step into a dance studio and it's twice as bad. I think I was really, really lucky to be in very liberal accepting, like incredible dance studio that didn't have as many of these signals, but it almost feels like, unfortunately, right? The same way that we were talking about this comes with, you know, to a certain extent, being a woman, it feels as though this comes with, to a certain extent, being a dancer and it's exhausting. And it's something that also is very sneaky. It snuck up on me. I didn't think I would ever be somebody that went through something like that. And I did, I went through a ginormous eating disorder when I was, I would say maybe 15, 16, 17, right? Which is such a tough age. And I think it was, you know, a crossover. I don't want to blame it on any one thing, but I think it was just something that happened and something that was, you know, unfortunately it got worse because I spent five hours every day 
in a mirror. It's a problem when nobody's talking to you about these things. And I didn't really have anybody talking to me about these things until my mom physically started noticing these things. And it ended up in tears and a lot of, you know, working through how do I get away from this eating disorder that is inevitably going to also ruin my dance career. And it led to a, a lot of really scary things. You know, another thing that, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about, but we don't talk about it. And, you know, something is that I lost my period and we don't talk about things like that. And we don't talk about the effect that it has. And we don't talk about, you know, the rehabilitation that it takes to come back from. It's tough. It's really tough. And one of the things that was hard for me was that I got into the program that I wanted to for dance in Chicago, actually. So it was Columbia College of Chicago. And I was a dance major. And it was kind of like, you know, it felt like living my dream at the time. But what the program didn't, the program didn't end up being a great fit for me. It was, you know, I thought it was a little bit more eclectic kind of mix. And it was predominantly ballet and that was kind of what I was looking to get away from. And I was in leotards and there was, you know, a dress code of leotard and tights. And now you're competing. And I, I hate, that's the word that comes up, right? I hate that. It's right. It's this feeling of competing with countless other women at this age in the same leotards and the same tights and the same mirrors all day long. And now instead of four or five hours a day, it was eight hours a day. And all of my kind of eating complexes were things that had been better, but they were not solved. And that was tough. That was really tough. It got really exhaustive. And that was something that I realized, hey, you know, and I kept realizing ballet is not the one for me. And I think this program is not the best fit, number one. And number two, if I stay here in ballet, in these mirrors, in these leotards, I don't think that I'm going to be able to get over the things that I've been working on for the past few years. And for me, that looks like terminating the program. And I ended the program and I left. I was really scared of where my mentality was going. That, you know, had to do both with just feeling, you know, restricted in that one genre and restricted in what my body image was like. And it wasn't a healthy place for me to be. So yeah, I left and I went back home and and I thought, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure this thing out. And I think the really sad thing about it is that it made me feel as though dance was not for me. And in reality, you know, we have to change a lot of these things about dance because maybe dance is not for everybody, but dance is certainly for me. <laughs> it was like, you know, my love, you know, the first love of my life. And and that really made me second guess it because of all of these unfortunate things that that came with it for me. But when I moved home, I actually took a step back. From, from dance during that time, kind of regroup, basically. May I applaud you for making that decision? Oftentimes, we are told nothing comes without sacrifice. This is true. However, this grind hard, work hard, push through the pain, no days off, no rest, sleeps for the week mentality, it's extremely toxic. And when you're young, you are very easily convinced by the elders around you, this is part of it. And it, it's not. There's a healthy amount of struggle you are to have in order to become great, but you should not be so out of touch with yourself that you feel like you're losing parts of your mentality. That's not health. You see that a lot too. And I think very much in the entertainment field, the dance field, theater, you, it's this constant game. And especially with women, this constant game of there's always somebody waiting behind the door who's willing to do what I want them to do. So you're going to do it or am I, am I kicking you out? So the fact that you acknowledged and you were like, I can't, I'm losing who I am and you left to be applauded because that is a success in my book. Oh, thank you. I remember when I was an undergrad, I was in the bachelor's program for musical theater, like I said, and the director hated me. I don't know why. He was the one director that they had and he made me feel really, really bad about myself. And then we would have to have meetings with him and I 
dreaded those friggin' meetings with this director because he would put me down and he would tell me all of these terrible things. And I remember after freshman year, my parents were like, are you sure you want to stay there? I was really tempted to leave. Like I felt like I made the wrong decision, but I stayed because I had made friends and I was too scared to leave and start somewhere new. So I applaud you for being able to do what I couldn't do, which was leave the program that wasn't right for me. Right. And I'm so sorry you went through that, but it's, it's valid. Like we don't, have all of these people constantly mentoring us through our lives telling us you know it's okay to restart so i know from a little bit of stalking you on instagram that you got into a life-changing car accident so i want to know how that affected you and like how you picked up the pieces I told my partner i was like man they're good like i think that day on instagram that i posted that i think that was maybe the first time i've ever posted that on instagram about that and it was nine years ago now so i was 19 actually nice segues you know are, are what we were previously talking about i had just come home from columbia college and was very unaware of who i was and where i would fit in and where i would go because my whole life was dance it was christmas time i went home you know a week before Christmas and we had Christmas and they said, you know, let's go up north. That's what we do in Michigan, right? Let's go up north and ski. Let's get away. Let's have some family time. Let's regroup. Let's do something fun. And so it was December 27th. We all know the date really well. And we were driving up north to, to go on a skiing trip. It was, you know, my parents and I in the car. And then my brother was, we were meeting him because he was up north at his friends. And one of my parents has insomnia and, and they fell asleep at the wheel. And December 27th in Michigan is not exactly your ideal weather conditions. Very, very icy. And we were on the highway. So we were at a high speed and we just started rolling and the car rolled five times. And here's a statement that everybody needs to hear that makes me upset every time I say it because I am an avid seatbelt wearer. And this was, I think, one of the only times in my life I didn't have one on. And I was ejected through, through the window of the car. And that was tough. And I hit a tree and just fell into the into the snow. It sounds very, very dramatic, but I think it was very dramatic. And yeah, I, I broke seven bones and it was tough. We got really lucky because the car behind us, and I have no idea how this works out, but the car behind us that saw it happen, there were two paramedics in that car that were off duty. They pulled over, they came, they stabilized my neck because I actually broke part of my skull. It was incredible. And another car behind them that we were pedestrians pulled over. And this is the good in the world, right? These are the types of people that we need. And I think this is why I posted this on Instagram that day because I saw a friend of mine posted, everybody has an experience with a stranger that that stranger has no idea how much that experience meant or how much that little, you know, helping hand meant to someone. And as soon as I saw that post, I am immediately like transported back to this day because this woman from two cars back just held my hand. My family was still in the car and I woke up in the snow. It's very, very scary. And she just held my hand through the whole thing. And she told me I would be okay, especially because I couldn't look around because they were kind of, they were stabilizing my, my neck because I guess, you know, the most important thing is that you don't move when you have, you know, breakage and damage there. So very scary. And, and she was the one, honestly, that got me through it because I the first question that I asked that I can remember was I asked you know am I am I gonna walk again and they told me they didn't know and at the time I was like how unsupportive right but they can't guarantee something they can't say something that they can't guarantee and they were they told me in that year we became this miracle case and we were in the newspaper and all of these things right and they told me at the time that they thought that I had been paralyzed so I was very lucky but thank goodness for this woman so this is you know another reminder for also anybody who's listening to, to help people and, and that you have no idea you know that 
the effect that you're going to have on people. But the long story short is that it was a really long year, you know, ended up in a neck brace and I ended up in a wheelchair and it was constant rehab and it was mentally and emotionally and physically the hardest year, you know, really that I had ever had. At that time, you know, ironically, a week earlier had dropped out of this dance program and had said, you know, maybe dance is not for me. And then I was in this accident a week later. And honestly, I think this accident, you know, because I think for, for about a year, I was not able to dance and that broke me maybe more than the accident did. I don't know if I would have found that out. I definitely could have gone without the accident, but I don't know if I would have found it out that quickly. In that short amount of time, I told my parents, like, I, I, I have to dance. I don't know how, where, in what capacity, in what form, if it will be my career, if it will be something on the side, I have to dance. And that accident really just, it's one of those things where you don't realize until it's missing what something means to you. And that's what that was for me. And I transferred to a community college in my neck brace, in my wheelchair. I didn't want to lose my momentum. A few months later, when I was out of my my neck brace, I went to, to Chile to study abroad in South America to regroup, to, to find something. And Spanish was a, another love of mine in Spanish linguistics. And, you know, when I came back from Chile that summer, I transferred to the University of Michigan. I got my bachelor's degree in Spanish linguistics and I moved to the East Coast because I was like, you know, listen, I love Spanish. I love linguistics, but I have to dance. I moved to the East Coast to pursue opportunities and I got connected and I started dancing again and I never stopped. Bravo, brava. I mean, it's just the minute I saw that I, I knew I needed to ask you took such a dramatic and awful experience. You took that experience and you decided to look at the positive side of it. And I think that's so huge. Mindset is so huge. And we talk about this a lot, the idea of positive thinking, the idea of positive energy. So, so much kudos to you. We're so glad that you're still on this planet and that you're able to do what you love because clearly God or the universe, whatever you believe in, wanted you. He wanted you to dance. He wanted you to keep dancing or she or whatever. Oh my gosh. I'm just so in awe. That is an absolutely amazing story and so inspirational. So we know that you have to go. We have just two more questions left. You've done so much growing and just mental, physical self-awareness, all of that. What advice would you give your 15-year-old self? That's a great question. I am an avid overthinker. And so thinking about this question is like so many things, a plethora, right? But when it really comes down to it, I think the first thing that comes to mind is to to follow your heart in every sense of that word. Follow your heart in the people that surround you. Follow your heart for your beliefs and your morals. Follow your heart in your career. Make a happy life and, and follow your heart. I don't think in our country, we are taught that. I don't think, I think we have a very systematic, like business, get that money mindset. And I think that goes against everything that I believe in and everything that I've grown up with. I would tell myself to follow my heart and any other 15 year old, number one. And number two, something I think as well is live in the present moment. I think something that I still struggle with and I still talk a lot about in in therapy is worrying about all of these things that we've talked about, right? Whether it's competition in your career or body image issues or what's going to happen to you or if you're in the right place or just a, right, a plethora, like all these things that we could, a laundry list of things that we could go on about. And I think, you know, one, one of the reasons, one of the million reasons I admire my partner so much is that he is so beautifully in the present. And it's something that I try and I'm like, can I just like sponge off of you? Like, give me your energy, right? Because it's incredible. And I, I think I'm someone, I, I, I do, I, I enjoy life a lot, but sometimes I see myself, I catch myself in these bubbles or moments of, of not enjoying it as much 
because I'm so worried about this or about that or about this past thing or the future thing or whatever it is. And so I think, and I think the one thing I do have figured out is I have followed my dreams and that is so much a source of, you know, so much of my happiness. And I think the other part is that I would tell myself and that I still tell myself is to live in in the present moment, appreciating where you're at, knowing that where you're at is where you're supposed to be and and following your, your heart from there. We could talk to you all day. Steph has a question she always asks, and then we'll probably, we'll just thank you tremendously, a thousand percent, a million and all of that good stuff. So we'll just make your head a little bigger. Well, where can people find you? Because you just, you have so much good energy and love to give and we want other people to be able to experience it. So where can people find you and have any fun projects coming up? So let's Let's see. People can find me. You know what? As much as I talk about it, it's helped me a lot. You can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is la, like L-A, and then Michelle Garcia. You can find me there. And then through my page, also Bonante, my company, who is there, wonderful. We have a separate Instagram for Bonante, so you can find me on, on both of those. My website also is linked on my Instagram, so it's kind of like a hub for, you know, finding me everywhere and getting in touch with me as you guys did. We have some a lot of exciting projects coming up. I think one of them is that this See, not this next weekend. We are for the first time in a year doing an in person video project. We are all COVID tested twice, which is great. And we're going to be releasing a teaser for the debut that my company was supposed to put out in 2020. And we're going to put that out in a few weeks. So that's that's the biggest thing coming up right now, which was a, a big deal for us because that was, you know, what we were working on for a year in 2019 was supposed to come out in 2020. And it will now, a teaser of it will come out in 2021. So I think that that one project is the next thing on the list. Thank you so much for taking time. You have such a beautiful energy about you. And it's just, this has been such an absolute pleasure. And I, I can't say enough good. And I hope everyone gets a chance to check you out because really you, dance is supposed to inspire and make you feel good. And I think that that is certainly what you you did for us today so thank you oh right back at you guys I when I got your message I was really excited I told you know again right away I was like oh my goodness it's two women running a woman run podcast and it's we need more of this energy and I've loved talking to you I hope we can talk some more another time that genuine real woman energy I think I like to call it big hoop energy I think it's priceless so love it oh we talk about a good hoop we were just talking about this girls night she said there's something about a hoop that just yeah big hoop energy it just you seize the day (laughs) thank you so much michelle this was such a pleasure you are so strong oh my gosh so way to go i can't wait to see how far you go so thank you for your time we know it's precious and also thank you to our listeners and we hope you stick up with us next time 